uh, we were going to talk about that. Shabbat. Shabbat. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I yeah, oh, got it. Okay. We've, we've <clears throat> talked a lot about silence and the sound of silence. And I want to speak about that as a, a meditation and uh, how this sound of silence is a focus of attention and the value of listening to it. So ordinarily, our, as you well know, our minds are filled with a litany of thoughts, very often irrelevant, perhaps mostly irrelevant, and just onward, talking, 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 thinking, 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 conceptualizing, imagining. It's a pretty constant process. And then on, on uh, accompanying all that is a, a certain level of ordinary anxiety and fear. The fear of being that comes with the realization that death is around somewhere, waiting. That's true for all of us. So the, our, our inner life is really most often not peaceful, which is why spiritual work is so important. And also why not many people really undertake it because it's, it's um, hard to realize when you're in confusion and fear of, that there's anything other than that. It's like being depressed and you, it seems like it goes on forever and ever and there's nothing else but that. So, I want to speak about the use of the, the sound practice as a, a way of finding a modicum of peace in the middle of all the confusion it becomes uh, an incredible focus. And as we said earlier, the, it's, it's called the comforter for good reason. When it becomes audible, or really rather when we tune into it, it's always accompanied by a sense of well-being and relaxation. I've never found it to be uh, failing me in all these years. In the Buddhist practice, the Buddhist monks call it uh, the, the nada sound. In, in our experience, it was called the, the shabad, the, the inner sound, the inner vibratory sound. Now, having practiced listening to this sound in silence for many years, I've had certain impressions of it that I'm just going to say, and I'm, I'm not... I'm not speaking what I would call truth. I'm speaking about what my experience has been and even what my opinion is about this experience. And that's about all we can do. You agree with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very individual thing. Just like the heart keeps beating as long as this body is moving and the lungs all of the glands and everything functioning all by itself. Uh, 
this sound of silence is always present. It never leaves. And it is a sound that isn't pulsing. It's a steady, like you could even call it a drone sound. It's high-pitched uh, for most people when they first hear it. it it's, crickets is pretty close, but it's more like shh. And then if it gets your attention, you, you, you're with me. If when it gets your attention and you become interested in listening to it, concentration happens very quickly because it's, in, it's very compelling. It kind of like wants you to be present listening to it. And the quality of it changes with the level of concentration and becomes more and more and more interesting. And it also, when you're able to, like, uh, words are in inadequate, allow it to per, 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 permeate. permeate your body, permeate your body. Allow your your sense of physical self to to dissolve. It permeates the body, and what happens is you're you're both hearing and being at the same time. The being is a very uh, energy incarnated physical here now experience, and it's it's uh, indelible and it's unquestionable. There is no doubt at this level of attention. There's no doubt at all that the experience is happening. I've come to see it as sort of, well, outside of uh, time and space. It comes from outside of time and space. It comes out from outside of our ordinary consciousness. And it is actually the very foundation of everything that comes into being here. It's like, if you want to get really specific, I think sound and light, sound and light are the basic experiences, the foundation experiences, and that they emerge from the inner sound. It's a step down, sound and light. And then from there, my teacher taught earth, air, fire, and water building blocks of the material world. But the very source of the, 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 the manifestation of this is sound. This is a, a, this is a sound body. It's a vibratory uh, formation in space. It's an energetic formation in space. When you begin to really tune into it, it's a field. For instance, if you if you tried if you go into feeling like Catherine suggested earlier, your hands from the inside, you can realize you're not really feeling hands. That's a that's a concept. What you're getting is a vibratory sensation flow. And that is sound manifested in the physical. So it's that close to us. It's it's so it's so close that we don't even notice it. Like sometimes the breath is so close we don't notice it, or 
all of it is so close we, we hardly notice it because we get lost in distractions, thoughts, and concepts. So to begin with, in order to hear the sound, I ask, ask people to attend to breath to start with because breath is very available. It's here and now and you can, everybody can eventually find the breath if you really are attentive. Another way I learned, we both learned, was through mantra, which is a, a sound of words in the mind. But um, the breath is just as direct, maybe more so, because it's body-oriented. And the, the focusing on breath very clearly creates a, a concentration, and concentration is relaxation. They, Concentration equals relaxation. You can take that home and put it in the piggy bank. Concentration is relaxation. Once the attention to the breath becomes more and more precise, there is a relaxing and an expanding that occurs in the mind and the body. And then in that expansion, that here and now awareness, it's possible to begin to hear this shh, especially in quiet rooms. If you go out into nature, in the mountains or in the deserts where there are not a lot of humans around, that sound can be very loud and it feels like it's everywhere and it's coming from everywhere. Our work with it has been that we've, we begin to hear it in the center of the head. That's where it appears. Some t in the, the sound, as I say, it's the, the primal sound, the primal sound of creation happening. In the beginning was the word, and I think that refers to the sound. That's my opinion. And it also, there can be experiences of, and you shouldn't be looking for this. I'm just, I'm painting uh, something to file away as some kind of possibility, maybe. Or, it can also occur with uh, seeing inner light. Colors come, patterns of light come with your eyes closed in the darkness that happens. And, the, and then that, as the sound uh, occurs more and more and more, clearly the light can accompany it. And so there be, there's an awareness at some points of, oh, this sound and light is who I am. Closer to who I am than my thoughts. Much more direct, free of concepts. I'm speaking of experience, not ideas. So, when we speak of the listening into the silence, that's when it's possible to hear the sound of silence. And it's an inside sound. For me it is. But when it's really, really peaceful everywhere, you can hear it inside, outside. That, that uh, polarity disappears. There is no inside or outside. There's just the, what Catherine calls the isness. The, what's here. Shabad, the beloved, the Sufi poets 
are wonderful, describing, listening to the inner sound. And then Hafiz, a very wonderful 15th, 15th, 16th century poet, writes about it all the time. And these are love songs, Rumi's songs. Many of them are directed toward this experience. They're love songs for that existence that is without name, or responds when called by any name, really, is without form, without limitation, and without uh, ideas. It's simply occurring, and it's, I'm hearing it now as I'm speaking to you. It's here always. I think I'm speaking for both of us. When we are practicing that, it brings with it a sense of yes, now. This is here. Everything is just as it should be and is what it is. And there's a sense of settling into that which you were before you became compl complicated. <laughs> that which you were before all of the blah, blah, blah. Before the school got a hold of you and the parents got a hold of you. And, and the, the friends and the society got a hold of you and pl implanted a lot of ideas about things and who you are. It's before all that. So to be able to hear it is like taking a shower of really good soap, cleaning off all of the barnacles and the barriers. It's like that. And that's why we call it the comforter. We're speaking about it today for Catherine and myself because for us it has been a primary way to work with the ego because there's such a contrast between the hearing the inner sound and the, the, the uh, roar of the ego. The contrast is just startling. The ego is busy and it's shouting and it's directing things and it's got opinions. The sound has nothing like that. It just brings the sense of I am. It's, I'm I am. And then you erase the I, you know, it's just isness. The longer you practice it, the more you recognize that it is in fact feels like the comforter. It's a way of being able to rest all of that, whatever it is you're bringing to your practice that day, whatever you're bringing in that moment with you, whatever your concerns are, you're resting in the silence. And it's, it is like being deeply comforted on a, the most uh, exquisite and you know, subverbal way. And as you practice, you realize that the comforter, the sound, <coughs> is always there. It's we who leave. We're the ones who go away. So um, as soon as you get an opportunity, when you have that moment of wakefulness, whether it's 10 seconds or 10 minutes or two hours, always to return. Each of those moments of returning is like a moment of awakening, resting in the sound, resting in the silence. Vipassana 
is a wonderful uh, bodily practice. In Vipassana, we pay attention to feelings and the, the, the experience of the senses, what the senses bring to us. What we're doing is adding a dimension when we're speaking about this, the dimension of sound that is not necessarily coming from the outside, but it's the sound of life occurring in the moment within you. It's, it's still Vipassana. It's paying, it's paying attention to the bodily presence. But it's very refined and the focus is more on hearing. Mindfulness comes in and out like mindfulness of anything that's occurring. It doesn't erase anything. In fact, the, the awareness of the environment and, and uh, the circumstances of the moment become quite heightened. I'm listening right now, and it brought with me a sense of, I'm here. This is happening. I'm here now with you. And it's a very, uh, very orienting kind of experience that cuts through confusion, cuts through ideas, goes immediately to the moment. Also, it takes care of a lot of loneliness. It really does. Uh, the, the, the danger, if there is danger, in us talking about it this way is the possibility they're going to recreate some kind of goal, <laughs> which is antithetical to what we're speaking about. Um, just becoming quiet will bring on the experience. If you're uh, striving, you want to say something? No, I wanted to just say something. Um, sometimes people hear it through the right side, and that's fine too. When we were first taught, we actually listened on the right side. Um, so if that happens, you know, and that's the way you hear it, that's great. And the other thing is sometimes people hear it more like the sound of putting a, a seashell up to your ear, kind of like a low. Mm -hmm low thing like that. But whatever, it's, you know, there's no right way to do it is what I'm, is I think what we're trying it's to communicate. It's just quiet it's silence. It's just quiet and silence. Yes. Uh, would you say more about how you use the breath? You, you mentioned using the breath yes. to get to the sound. Mm -hmm. Would you say more about that? Yes. When, I, when I'm beginning a session with breath, that becomes my entire focus. And I focus on the sensations and the movement of sensations in a certain place in my body where I feel the breath most clearly. That's home base. And I stay with that and stay with that. And for me, that leads into more and more body awareness. Like the breath is the portal, the gateway to experiencing the living body that which enlivens this meat. And, and when that occurs, I become more and more aware of the body. By that time, I'm, I'm much quieter. My mind becomes more peaceful. I'm not tracking thoughts at that point. Now, the ego will jump in and go, yeah, wait, over here, look at this, look at that. It does that. And then if I know that it does that, I can quickly say, uh, not now and go with 
the breath, for instance, we're talking about. At some point when I, the breath leads me into a body awareness, the sound becomes very loud in there, if I'm, I'm attuned to it. If you've never looked in that direction, you may never have heard it. I have to tell you, when I started practicing, it took me two years to really hear it clearly. But I've noticed lately in teaching that most people hear it almost right away, that I'm really a slow learner. <laughs> it took a, quite a long time. How about you? Yeah. Took some time. Took some time. Mm -hmm. So until that happens, stay with the breath. Um, I mean, it's beautiful practice. It's vipassana, right? But also, when we first started practicing, we were very goal-oriented in that we were looking to have that experience. So, to be saved. Yeah. So we weren't just. Oh, we, Help we, me! Get me out of here. We weren't just opening to what was uh, happening in the moment. We had a very specific idea about. Um, escaping the wheel of birth and death. <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> Forget happiness. Catherine, could you say a little more about how it's an antidote for loneliness? Um, well, I think that we all have that longing within us, whether we're in a relationship, a, a loving relationship or not, whether we have children or not. I think that that wound that Robert was speaking of, that separation, is something we all carry. And um, when you listen to the sound and allow the sound into you and have the feeling of it kind of melting your edges, um, that sense of separateness and, and that sense of uh, being a wanting self kind of dissolves. Or, or recedes to the background. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a very, it's like it's complete. You don't need anyone or anything mm -hmm. to have that experience. It's just there all the time. The sound is there. Mm -hmm. And all we need to do is open to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very um, gratifying in that way. Comforting, gratifying, and um, Teach very, us about very, the ego. very soothing. Very soothing. Or sometimes, you know, when you watch your thoughts, it can be pretty painful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm not against watching thoughts. I'm not saying that. But you know how it is hanging out with that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll try to speak up. Um, so what it, I mean, can it start on the outside and then come yes. to the inside? Yes. So I'm just wondering if you don't have crickets around that day. Um, could you put on like a, a CD that has those kind of nature sounds? No. 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 It's an inner sound. So, but does the outer help you get to the inner? No. no. It, uh, it's completely separate. Yes. If you start listening to the outer, it'll be a diversion from the inner sound, oh, actually. Oh, okay. If you, you listen to natural sounds and you're not following a melody, they can lead you inward. Well, I mean, they have tapes that have natural sounds, right? I mean... Buy a cricket tape. Yeah. Forget crickets. <laughs> Don't, there's nothing about crickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right yeah. here. Here you go. When you mentioned the tinnitus... Yeah. Um, oh, 
when you mentioned the tinnitus and then we did the, the meditation after that, I started focusing on it. Uh -huh. And now I'm wondering if that's the sound. Could be. And I'm looking at it totally differently. Fantastic. Yes. It's <laughs> it might not be a problem. It might be a blessing. Very likely is. Is it? Is that possible? It yes. is possible. <laughs> yes, it is. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> tinnitus, normal tinnitus. Yeah. Just like the breath, all of this yes. is normal. But the, the word tinnitus has a pathological connotation. Anything yeah. with an itis. Well, but it, it, is, it is a normal <laughs> neurological function. It is. Just like those, those colors are a normal neurological function when you close your eyes, just like your breathing is. In other words, there's one mountain, there's many paths. There's yes. not just one path. Yes. I, I want to thank you so much for talking about this because I had noticed the sound several years ago and I assumed it was you know, a defect in my hearing having to do with aging. I mean, it was very pleasant, but the ego was saying, well, don't go over there because <laughs> It's probably a problem. So now, yeah. just sitting here, I mean, I'm just aware of it, and it's just wonderful. Isn't it lovely? So thank you. You're really. welcome. Trumpa used to pay, uh, poke fun at it. He called it a neurological buzz. <laughs> and I, yes, that's right. Um, I have had or have this experience, and I, can, I, I recognize it all the time now. And I was attended a couple of... Dr. Hansen and Richard Mendius's talks, and he wrote. They wrote the book Buddha's Brain, and the neurological thing. And it was. And I, I, I thought, what is this? You know, sound that I'm hearing, and um, so I relate to it as the. It's the comforter, like you said. But I, I thought it's a warm, fuzzy sound, yes. and then I related the warm, fuzzy appearance of a honeybee and and so that's the sound i think of it like the honeybees the buzzing the buzzing the instead of cricket i don't use cricket i use hunt good the honey the warm and the fuzzy and the bees but no danger of, of stinging no danger of stinging unless i let the ego get in the way that's it the ego's a stinger so that's my visual or you know kind of metaphor for that those and, and it's the passages of in the neurons of the electrical energy, yes. and it's this. It's a real sound in our brain. That's what Doctor Mendia said. Yes. It's a real sound, and if you That's are what so we're quiet, about. exactly. So thank you for. I've never heard another talk about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It isn't spoken of very much. It isn't. The uh, the book that I mentioned earlier, um, Incognito that I was talking about the neuroscientist, he says that actually, quote, under the hood, there is a firestorm of electrical activity going on all the time. So the electrical current is there. Yes, yes. I too have been practicing with this. I thought it was a rebellion. Um, Exactly as you describe, it's in the middle of my head. Um, I do get the colors as well. I've been going on for a long time. And I'm wondering, um, you were talking about working with it over time as a practice. Is there anyone else 
uh, working on that um, leading practice using that at this time except yourself and can I further it by uh, in your books or um, oh <laughs> it's it's quite a relief to know yes, that this is I don't know of anyone okay except uh, Ajahn Sumedho and he's in England right there is a, a path called Surat Shabd Yoga and, and it's a Sikh path it's Indian Sikh in which the sound current is the focus of attention but it's also a whole philosophical construction around it and it's more more of a religion and mm -hmm. um, that's could be troublesome actually because there's a lot of belief involved in it and we're talking about just just the sound itself without any accoutrements also our sound practice I mean we're also bringing Vipassana and the non-dual into it so it is a it is quite different from the what we originally studied the essence of the teaching is there but I would love to start a sound listening group if anybody would like to come to that come and see me good idea I actually never made that connection with the sound and meditating so it was great that you taught that and I did get it but my association interestingly was the sounds of the ocean mm -hmm. and and I'm wondering <laughs> because I love the sound of the ocean there is something that's always been the waves crashing and the soothing and now I'm starting to think maybe has this got something to do with coming out of the ocean and our origins and you know in our brains I don't know interesting we are 95% water. Mm -hmm. And in the womb. And in and the, the womb, the amniotic fluid. You know, ultimately, all of these, like, images and metaphors fall away. Um, and it just becomes the indescribable, right? In the 13th century, suddenly there appeared in Europe all of these uh, cathedrals that were just sprung up out of nowhere, the, uh, builders of cathedrals. And they built the towers and put the bells in the towers. Mm -hmm. They were outside manifestations of the inner sound. That sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> I, it's like the sound in the head. That's where that came from, the bell in the tower. Well... But if you're not hearing, if you're not hearing the sound, listen to the silence. Listen to the silence. It's a beautiful practice. Should we do that for a while? Yeah, somebody has a question. You can go for it. Okay. Could go for it. Try speak or you want to go for whatever you're going to do? Go uh, ahead, if you have a question. Um, I um, how do you deal with, I'm going to say, any temptation of thought? Because I find a lot of times it's not distracting so much, so much as it's enjoyable. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's entrancing. Exactly. You're entranced by your thoughts. So what's the, I'm going to say, the motivation in that point? Because it's easy now to look on it, but when you're really there, it's like, well, there's two roads. Right. How it do I pick the one I kind of know 
It depends if you want to develop a, a, a sitting practice, like we're talking about. Sitting as a practice, as, a, as you know, something you do on a, some kind of regular basis, and whether, that's, whether you feel pulled to that. Because the sitting practice is not to go into the content of, the, of thought. It's to become aware of the process of thinking. Whereas what I believe you're saying is that when you are enjoying thinking your thoughts, you're in them, right? Mm-hmm. So, but that's a separate thing. You can, that's fine. But that's, <coughs> but that's different from a sitting practice. I love thinking, actually. <laughs> it's a great pleasure. It's just not the whole story. So how do you separate the two? <laughs> the sound from thought? Mm-hmm. By uh, focusing on breath and concentrating the mind, then thinking becomes less important and the emptiness becomes more important. If you focus on an object, because this is a dualistic world, you focus on an object, the background becomes more foreground because balance is always restored then. So if you focus on breath, the vastness of what we're speaking comes forward at the same time. Do you understand that? And the thoughts will fade into the background? Yes. They'll be absorbed by it. Yeah. They're not as, they're not as commanding as the experience of emptiness. Which I'm, I want to add, it's in the experience of emptiness, that openness, that we receive love. Love, to me, comes out of that silence of emptiness and, and manifests in all the many ways that it does. We're, we're swimming in it all the time, love. So I find the, that open space to be uh, more real than ordinary life in that sense. Yeah? Love is really the, the lack of obstruction in your sense of being. It's a letting go of uh, obstacles, particularly the ego self. We, so, we go sad, <laughs> love and fear. Oh yeah, long time ago we came to the conclusion that it was love and fear. How many years ago? They're yeah. opposites. As, as being polarities. I remember the moment. Yeah, me too. It dawned on us. <laughs> we thought we had invented Buddhism. <laughs> <laughs> little, uh, you know, inflation there. What is the stuff? Ego. So, <laughs> Another way to, to think of it is, is like the sound or the silence is, 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 is an open space, right? It's, 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 it's formless. And whatever thoughts or objects come across our screen in any given moment, they are, uh, that's a form. Whether it's an idea or a memory, it's a form. So we're going for the formlessness. We're going we're allowing the forms to disappear. So really it's about the background, the background, the silence that is 
behind or under or within everything. <coughs> Dalai Lama likes to talk about how everyone longs for happiness. And real happiness comes from the experience of that openness. Mm -hmm. That's where happiness and love lies, emerges from. So it's the highest happiness. Okay. Let's do it. Well, let's, let's sit a while and then we can move on to something else. Mm -hmm. Let's definitely sit. We're, we're coming down to the, ooh, it's 4.02 here. So if there are questions, hold them <laughs> and say them later. And anything that we can do to clarify all of this. But for the moment, let's listen. Let's listen. without trying to strive for anything, simply the silence. Let it bathe you. Your true nature is here now. It has never gone away.
whisper of silence. The vibratory sound within
So notice how thinking takes your attention away and how listening to silence is a way of coming back to the moment, just as you would with the breath. And not only are we listening to silence, we're being held by silence. When some kind of discomfort comes in the body, a tension or an ache or a fatigue, and you are with that, open to it. Embrace it without judgment. Open, accept it, even with gratitude.
Now, I don't know if we should go here. Briefly, maybe. I don't know. We might not have time. Hmm? I don't know if we have time. Hmm. Hmm. Well, let's go for it All right. a short time. This is risky. <laughs> Take a risk. Huh? Many of you, as, as being therapists, have questions about, well, how do you apply this really in the moment with somebody? And uh, I have a prejudice about that because my training, well, both of us, our training was in Gestalt. We both, I was Fritz's apprentice and Catherine was there and met him a number of times. Mm -hmm. And so Gestalt has been a way for me to integrate psychotherapy and meditation. It's largely what I'm doing in Mexico. Now, Gestalt therapy is a, a, a method of examining the ego by identifying the polarities, the opposites, recognizing them and bringing them forth in conversation with each other, creating a situation where they can uh, have a, either a conflict or a confrontation or at least a hello. I'm speaking now of the inner polarities of the ego self, which we've been talking about. So Gestalt is a beautiful way of bringing those polarities that are uh, creating tension and conflict and suffering into association with, with each other in a way that uh, opens up the possibility of uh, balance and equanimity and it's in that state that the sound is loudest, yeah? So we have a volunteer to work with me a little bit in, in Gestalt Dialogue. We can see where it goes, yeah? Ken, is up for that? Uh, if you'd like to see some action in this regard. And now, what's risky is that we have no idea where this goes, what we're going to get into. It's time limited. Probably a stupid idea, but here we are. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. Um, so in the Gestalt work, we take the, the voices that are in your head, all that conversation, and we, we, we bring them outside, and the person who is, quote, working is expressing these polarities that exist within all of us, like a top dog, underdog, or uh, a conflict, a relationship that this person may be in a conflict with another person. So it's a way of externalizing the internal tape that keeps running. Mm -hmm. Does someone need a volunteer? We have one. I we think. have one. Mm -hmm. Makes everything more obvious. And the principle of Ingestalt is you amplify everything until you can't not see it. You know. I could use those two chairs right there to do this if I don't fall off here. Are you stepping down? I'm going to sit here. Okay. Don't fall. Okay. I'm
going to sit here. Right in front of me, here, and one there. Mm -hmm. This is Ken Otter, whom <laughs> I know from a long time ago. Hi, Ken. You asked for it, right? It is on. <laughs> I'm postponing on. You asked for it. I asked for it. So we're in a office situation here and blah, blah. And I'm sitting here and I'm saying, well, what's happening? How are you? What's going on? Well, I'm aware of wanting to do a really good job uh -huh. as your uh, volunteer client. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're depending on you for that. Yeah. Don't Quickly do a good job in a quick amount of time. So immediately we have a polarity here right away that we can work with. The, the, uh, the one who wants to do a good job and the critic, who, the one who knows if it's a good job or not. We could work with that. Okay. Yeah. So it's, uh, I want to do a good job. It's a separation between the me and the job. Hmm. Okay? It's as though the job isn't you. It's something you want to do well, form well. Yeah, yeah. I want to be really present and yeah, aware yeah. and awake and authentic and all that. And stuff. quickly, and <laughs> do it well. Let's yeah. get to a resolution. Yeah. So if the polarity is the job, and you're the boy who wants to do a good job, put the job there. Hmm. I want to do a good job. That's the job. And you're talking to the job. Yeah, I mean, you better just, you know, be present. Talking to the job. Yeah. You want the job to be present. Yeah. Tell it again. I want you to be really present and, and um, maybe a little entertaining. Yeah. Respond. Come back here. First response is, fuck you. Oh, okay. Like, fuck. You want to... Well, yeah, yeah, like, <laughs> like, that's a... Abs fuck you. I'm tired. I don't want to be pushed into some situation. I mean, I really know this is... Uh, I mean, I really... Fuck you. Sorry. <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job. I'm cussing. <laughs> Fuck you. Change. <sighs> What's happening? Uh, I feel little. You feel little. And sad. Mm -hmm. And um, surprised. A little shocked. Mm -hmm. His anger shocks you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tell him your anger really shocks me. The 
your anger really shocks me, actually, it hurts me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't expect that. You're hurting me. Yeah. Come back. You're hurting me. Tell him how he's hurting you. You're hurting me by setting me up to have to do something special or right or as you want it to be done. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. put me in a place that I'm tired of. I'm tired of his expectations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What if I don't want to do a good job? Change. Good question. What's happening in the silence? Yeah, I'm trying to find words for this feeling of, well, we got something to, like, we got a reputation to protect. We got, I'm trying to help too. Um, I'm trying to, yeah. You get really small over here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting, I, I'm getting kind of lost and... I'm lost. Yeah, I'm lost. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help too and I'm yeah, lost. Yeah, I'm trying to help too and I feel lost. Mm-hmm. Come back. I don't know how to help. Okay. Well, that's helpful. Yes. You can hear that. Yeah. When it, yeah, I can, I can hear that. Mm-hmm. So you can work together, maybe. Yeah, but I don't trust you. Uh-huh. Yeah, I hear that, but I don't trust you. You don't trust the what about it? Well, I don't trust that you'll show up that you just did in that moment. Mm-hmm. I, I hear that you also want to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'm, yeah, I mean, I'd like to just be kind of okay and be real. I'd like to be okay by you to be whatever is happening. Can you make that a request? <sighs> I want. Yeah, I'd like, I want you to let me be okay without making me feel, make, asking for us to be special. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm tired of. Yeah. Somehow we have to be special. Tell me. I'm tired of always feeling like I need to be special. Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's a burden. Yes. It's the ego we're talking about. That one. So see what response you get over there. Do that sound again. (sighs) 
Yeah. Well, I'm tired. Also. I'm so tired. I'm tired of also being special. I mean, I want to. I sat here wanting to be special to you and to you. Yeah. And I'm. That's feels pretty tiring. <laughs> it's work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How would you be not wanting to be special? Pretty ordinary. I mean, just and um, I would have to have a lot of faith in the world. But you don't have to make something happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd have to have some faith that uh, the world would show up for me if I wasn't special. Uh-huh. And that's very, mm-hmm. that's not very valuable to me, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. So you're working pretty hard a lot of the time. Huh? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. 56 years. Looks to me like you're doing a good job. I'm not sure I understand you. (laughs) Doing a good job, working hard. You came up here? Yeah. Uh, Your honesty is palpable. Your authenticity is visible. Mm. And uh, you are here, present. I don't think I could mm-hmm. ever expect okay. more than that yeah. of anyone, which makes you special. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my confusion was, and I have a microphone too. <laughs> Broadcasting so this. You basically got what you wanted. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yeah, and, that, and the courage to do yeah. that. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very honest. How do you feel now? It's kind of a, um, a sweet sadness. Just uh, sad for all the work that I, you know, all the energy I spend yeah. trying to be special, and also just this sense of kind of a little bit of um, spaciousness to be sort of with it. And that's kind of sweet. Mm-hmm. Sounds ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. It's what we all are. Yeah. Right, you know. Thanks very much, Ken. Sure. Really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. What a treat. (laughs) Didn't think you were coming here for that, did you? No, I didn't. (laughs) Actually, I did, but I thought I'd get it over here. Uh Uh Oh. Messed with it, sorry. After a Gestalt session, this was a brief and to the point. It's very helpful to ask questions and make comments about what you just saw or to ask him something if that is here for you or me or Catherine. What happened just now? Sharing that I think that to me it brought up um, something that I, I experience a lot and so I just wanted to reflect that, that comment.
commonality, which is that when I do my best work, I'm witnessing my own stuff. It makes me really sad. And a friend recently defined that to me as, as divine grief. Um, and I found that really helpful because it put the grief in perspective, like the perspective that the grief is productive because it's not divine in a holy way, but just divine in the sense that like you're really, you're really present with your own. And so just thank you for sharing that and for showing, for reflecting that that's something that we all do and that when we're doing our best, sometimes it comes with sadness. One of the reasons, is this on? Yes. One of the reasons I wanted to do this little bit piece of work was uh, I wanted to emphasize that we all live in a bipolar consciousness. And this inner conversation is going on constantly in all of us, even if we're not conscious of it. And when the inner conversation gets really loud, and the war erupts, we can no longer be restful or happy. Then we start seeking for some kind of solution, which comes in a teacher or a teaching or a drug or a job or a new relationship or anything to get away from the, the duality. And we're all in the process of healing that duality. I really believe that. And, and we can't do that until we know it, about it. You can't heal the inner wound until you feel it, and then accept it. I hope that's clear here. I think that was the point of our doing this for me, to see that how quickly the polarities were, were immediately present. Now, as a therapist, if you're if you're sitting and you have a, a center of peace that the, the client walks into, you're much more able to see those polarities clearly. And then you work with them. You invite them out. And that doesn't have to be a gestalt. You invite them to speak clearly. And pretty soon the, the conversation that's an internal one becomes an external one and involves projections on other people. He was working with projection, you know, with the empty chair. Hope that's clear. And a, this kind of work blends the meditation practice, because in meditation you're sitting in that dialogue, that, that split all the time. You're dealing with that as an ego. And so what we did here was just make it more and more explicit. And I find it helpful in, in meditation retreats. In, in my retreats in Mexico, instead of doing Dharma talks in the evening, we do this. People come forward and we do the gestalt, and then everyone gets to see it in action, what we're, what we're dealing with internally. It's very nice. Yeah. And when you see it, of course, you see yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's universal. May I make a comment? Yes. I'm, pretty, I'm just yeah. surprised how, um, I mean, I, how 
a meet, how quickly that came. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think of it, you know, spending the day on the cushion and then having all of this attention. It just, I was, I'm just surprised uh, how it came together, even though I didn't, you know, I tried to just hang with what was happening. But I was just, as I'm sitting here, I just really see the advantage of being able to sit as much as, and to take in what we did, and then to have this kind of attention yeah. seemed to really amplify a certain presence for yeah. me that didn't really feel like it was mine. I was, I, you know, so I just wanted to name that feeling of, of, of the room and the day mm -hmm. as being a very powerful resource. Yeah. So. Well, you were, you were so present with the work. You got the yeah. Yeah. buzzer on? You were so present with the work. It felt like an extension of my city, is really. So that's, I, I asked the question of, what's the link? Because I have had both kinds of training, but I never really spent much time looking at the intersection. So I asked the question, and that's how I got volunteered. <laughs> um, so, um, and then I got the direct experience of that, and I just really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you, Yes. When you were doing that, you were like taking a lot of big deep breaths the whole time. Like every time you'd switch, and I, mean, I had never seen this before. I don't know anything about it, but um, I just wondered if that was like helpful in terms of the process. To it seemed like you were like gulping air or something. I don't know. Is it? Does that make sense? So we're, we're kind of doing that, right? Uh, for me, it was the way that I could just stay present and not stay in like, a, what are we doing here, and how's it going. It just just to stay with what was happening because that's what he was asking me and that was the way I could get to it. So that's all through breath, breath, mm -hmm. big breaths, gulping breaths. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Breath always occurs in the moment. It's always now. So I'll pass the mic if anybody. Wants. Um, thank you. Um, so I'm not a therapist, and the majority, so I'm not a therapist, but I, I work in a clinical setting, and um, all of my clients are under 24 years old, and uh, they all deal with some form of chronic illness, be it HIV, hepatitis C, cancer. Oh boy, front um, lines. Yeah. Um, the reason why I decided to come on this retreat is because today is my birthday, and Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, and I and I and I came because I wanted it for myself. Uh, but I noticed a lot of the stuff that I've heard today. I would love to work with my clients. I, I would like to introduce this into their lives. But a lot of them I notice um, are really closed off, right? Especially when I'm doing a, a new HIV diagnosis. Like usually, I you know I have a client um, who's 16 years old and just found out he's HIV positive. Mm. Um, so I have to deal with d doing this disclosure and on top of that dealing with the emotional stuff that comes out, out of that. Um, so it becomes very heavy. So there's, so my question is twofold. Um, on one end, I noticed that all of this work has um, started to weigh down on me. Um, and I find myself experiencing what I think is the, the beginning stages of uh, compassion fatigue, right? So it's like, how do I work around that? And then the second part of that is... Um, how do I kind of implement these techniques with 
people who are 17 years old, right? Because I can do this, right? Like, I'm an adult, um, but how do I get, like, a 16-year-old to consider thinking of the self and the self talking to the self, you know? Um, you have to do a lot of teaching to do that. You can't jump right into the, the technique. I think you have to do a lot of preparation. Oh, you can begin by talking to them about the fact that there's a mind. They have a mind and a body. And that they're out of sync with each other, maybe. You have to, you have to speak about what thought is in the mind and how it's continuous. I mean, you have to go really baby steps and, and do a lot of conceptual teaching before there will be any kind of openness. You, you, you're working to diminish mistrust by doing that. Especially that age, you know, when nihilism is rampant, particularly the people you're working for. So much compassion you, it comes from you, I'm sure. Be a teacher as well as a helper and, and talk to them about what goes on in your mind. What are you, what's your body doing now? That sort of thing. I, I don't know any other way, really. It wouldn't help to read books, probably. But it, it, you have to be an example of what it is that you're heading toward. It starts with you. And they'll see that. It radiates. When, when, when you're sitting there feeling compassion, everybody knows it. And um, I guess what I'm saying is do your practice, do a practice, do a practice. You must practice. Particularly, you're in the trenches. Very hard work. Bless you, bless you. But be a teacher. I, I couldn't do what you do today. I, don't I can barely do what I do. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Very, very. There's somebody back there. Yes. probably switching the topic drastically, but I'm wondering about the place of joy in all of this because I had two experiences in my life where, um, one, I was swimming with dolphins by accident, and another one, my house burnt down, and I sort of, from the PTSD, I just really lost a sense of self, um, which was actually a good thing. Um, So, to me, it seemed like those experiences were two highlights that really taught me um, how important joy is, and it really gave me that unifying feeling like nothing else in my life ever has. So, I'm just wondering your guys' thoughts about joy in all of this. Good one. That's fantastic. How wonderful that you were able to... How wonderful that you were able to experience joy in, in the face of that much loss. Because the tendency is to is, is to cling to everything that we were, our possessions, our things, our identity. 
Well, um, the reason I did is um, when I went back to look at the house, I had a painting studio, and I, I had six gallons of paint that I hadn't opened yet. Mm-hmm. And when I was poking around where my studio used to be, and it was all ash, the whole neighborhood was gone. Um, I was poking around, and I flipped open the lids, and so there were the six round colors mm-hmm. amongst all the ash. Beautiful. And I took a picture of it. Mm-hmm. And so I took that, I took meaning from that, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. I think Things like that happened a lot, so that's why mm-hmm. it was it was joyful for me. Beautiful. The uh, uh, joy is a natural upwelling of. Uh, is it an emotion? Happiness. It's it's a natural occurrence that comes with peace of mind. There are moments of great joy upon learning something new about yourself, seeing the paint as being something survives, awareness is continuous. Those, those experiences bring joy from deep within. And I agree with you, it's one of the best parts of being here, those moments of joy. But they're not aberration, they're natural. They, if you if you do practice, you're going to run into it. You're going to run into pain, and you're going to run into joy. Both. It's a deep sense of well-being, and it bubbles up. Love it. But it's different than looking for happiness. It's not happiness. No. Joy is different. Right. I yes. Yeah. Um, I just had a question. You started off in the beginning talking about how ego isn't necessarily like a, like a bad thing. Um, Where is the, the microphone? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, we were talking about, uh, I think one of the first things that y'all said was, uh, that the ego isn't necessarily a bad thing; it gets a bad rap. Um, <laughs> but I, I do um, experience sometimes the ego as you know, like kind of a negative talking down. You know, the, the inner critic, mm-hmm. um, and uh, how we transform that inner voice, that ego, mm-hmm. and, and also how it relates to you know a lot of times when we talk about people having a big ego, how it relates to humility. Um, to humility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. I think that life dishes us out some pretty hard lessons without us having to do too much. And certainly, over time, the people that have lived a little bit of time, they know what I'm talking about. And through the contemplation of and the experience of suffering and opening to suffering, compassion and humility are the, and, and gratitude are the natural result of really understanding your own pain and the pain of others. So it's, we don't, you know, none of us are joyful that when hard times hit, but the, 
they can be a very powerful teacher for us. And the humility, sometimes we have to get knocked around a little bit, depending on, you know, the imprints. And the humility can come out of that compassion mm -hmm. for ourselves and for others. The, the egoic point of view is essentially a limitation of what is possible to experience in awareness. Mm -hmm. So when there's a big ego, there's a big limitation mm -hmm. in the capacity to love and to experience life itself. Then the experience becomes constriction and contraction. We didn't get too much into this. But we didn't get to. No, we mm -hmm. didn't. But that's a body experience. Mm -hmm. That kind of contraction of egoic self is felt as a physical clutch, like a fist. And it's palpable, and you can learn to recognize it when it's present. And it then becomes kind of a truth button. When you feel that contraction, you know that you got to let go somewhere. What are you clinging to? What's the ego doing? So it then be, the contraction becomes a really helpful thing. And uh, then time for gratitude. Mm -hmm. That was actually my question before. Uh, I mean, I, I meant to ask this question. Um, because I'm not a professional, and this gestalt uh, practice um, that you demonstrated here... It's not on. Hello? No. My question is from a perspective of Buddhist practice. Uh, is it important to know the content of the dialogue, or is it enough to feel the pain? Because this is what happened, like, as a result of practice, I, I feel that contraction, mm -hmm. and I feel the pain, physical pain. Yes, it isn't necessary. Great question. No, it's it not. It is a really good question. It is not necessary to know the drama story. It's helpful, it gives you a kind of a sense of the lay of the land, but you can do the work just by tuning into the physical experience of what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it'll drop the story, because the story is what's going to go first anyway. It usually fuels my discomfort, usually mm -hmm. adds yes. to Furthers. Like, furthers. Oh, yes. Going into the... Mm -hmm. If I continue the narrative, right. you know, right. it, it feeds up yes. the... Um, makes suffering. it more obvious. Makes it yeah, more so obvious. samsara continues, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, it is not necessary to, to uh, celebrate the drama. <laughs> but for some of us it is. It's, it's Mildly amusing too. Color and fun. And people get sympathetic and, you know. We see the, our follies, right? Well, I think we're, I think we're really day. near the end of our road here. Yeah. <coughs> mm. uh, if anyone is interested in a sitting group, sound listening group, come and see me or give me your card or something. And um, 
I'm, I have a flyer on the back uh, table there, but with Robert's books. I'm, I'm doing some classes at Book Passage. If any of those are interesting to you, take a flyer. Book Passage is in Corte Madera, and someone just kindly told me that there was no information about what Book Passage is, but it is a bookstore in Corte Madera, and the information is back there. Does your, it's, it's labeled as a writing workshop, mm -hmm. but would it also lead to other creative? Yes, yes. It's about the intersection between the creative arts and the meditative arts. Yes. Yes. What about your retreats down? Um, my retreats now are all in Mexico. Uh, the, the next season of retreats we haven't posted on my website yet. I'm going to San Cristobal in uh, a few days for a five-day retreat, and then I'll go to Puebla for another one, and, and then there'll be a rest until the next schedule, which would probably be uh, wintertime, somewhere in there. But I'm not doing retreats here any longer. Right, so you, it's on your website, which is? That will be on my website, which is uh, ldharma.com or robertkhall.com. And on that website, there'll be links to my talks, audio recordings, stuff. They are in English. Pardon? They are in English. The retreats. Yes, the, my retreats are in Spanish, but uh, I'm, I teach in English, and I have uh, a wonderful translator who's actually kind of my alter ego, mm -hmm. only she's much prettier and nicer. <laughs> <laughs> she translated this book, this book Everybody Now, she took six months to translate it. It's really a good translation. And uh, I honor her every day. She makes it possible for me to teach there because I couldn't teach in Spanish. So, yeah? Okay. So website, you know, mine. And come to Mexico. <laughs>